0: Thank you for joining us on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. And here's your host, Chris Subalero.
1: Well, this is it. And once again, it's time for the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Subalero. I got to tell you, it's the season to be jolly. And I don't know that anyone can be more jolly than I am. But I want to thank everyone for joining us. And it's a great holiday season, no matter where you are. Hopefully, you're going to have a white Christmas. Uh, but for those who don't, You've got great leadership content, so that's what we're going to talk about now, and joining me as our guest is our resident expert on ethical leadership, Dr. Charles Weinstein. Chad, how you doing? And thanks for joining us again on the show.
0: Chris, it's a great pleasure to be here, and happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. I, myself, am a Hanukkah boy. That's right. I just was just to Just add say, a little diversity to the mix.
1: That's right. Now, if we can get somebody who's celebrating Kwanzaa, I think that we'll have the uh, the triad right there.
0: Absolutely and I think we can we can all look forward to a very good healthy prosperous new year.
1: I think you're absolutely right you know Chad one of the things that uh, you know it's great to have you on because you know you're our resident uh, ethical leadership expert and one of the things that you really kind of try to bring forward you know is your virtue model. And, you know, we, we started off talking about the virtues of ethical leadership, and today we're going to continue with that, and we're going to talk about competence. You know, and I think competence is just one of those things that we really have to be comfortable with because from competence grows confidence. From confidence grows our self-esteem. So when we think about the virtue of competence, I think it's an important characteristic that we need to be able to, to feel good about. So when we talk about the virtue of competence, maybe you could just briefly refresh us on that virtue frame work that you work with. And then, you know, when we talk about the virtue of competence, maybe give us a little definition.
0: I'd be happy to. Virtues are qualities in us that make us effective at achieving a purpose. In this case, ethical leadership or our capacity to empower others to make a positive difference in the world around us. So what qualities in us make us effective at that. When we define those qualities or virtues, we define the targets that we strive for. And we give ourselves a way of looking at our own development so that we can learn from our experiences and continue to grow. And in fact, we can look at those around us and say, well, I may be strong in one area, not as strong in another, I better get people on my team who can shore up where I'm not super strong and I may want mentorship. So the reason to think about virtues is they're qualities that help us understand how we can get better. And the framework of virtues that we use really includes five. We have talked about service in a previous podcast and we've talked about courage, especially moral courage in a previous podcast and the remaining virtues are Competence, our topic for today, and creativity, and clarity, our ability to make sense of things. So one of the things we need to realize about virtues is they're also interrelated. So it's very hard to talk about competence without in some ways talking about clarity, our ability to make sense of things, and It would be dangerous to think about creativity, how can I make things better, without thinking about competence, what am I good at? So today's topic is one of the pieces, they're all sort of intertwined, and so if we pull out the competence piece, what we're looking at is, what do we know, what can we do? And so competence is the desire and ability to really effectively do things. And it includes knowledge, so technical skills, know-how. It also includes wisdom. Can I make sense of my experiences? Can I look at what I'm seeing in front of me through the lens of what I've seen and experienced before? That's wisdom. And finally, it's judgment. Can I discern Can I frame sound opinions? Can I develop a course of action based on what I do know and what I do perceive? Those are really the elements of competence.
1: And I think that those are really important. You know, I really like when you said that you know, when when we may find ourselves with a with a challenge or with a weakness within our own leadership ability, you know, we have the tendency to hire people that are like us. You know, we, we don't have the tendency to look outside of ourselves to say, you know, where are our, our weaknesses or where are our challenges as leaders and, and how do we bring those people, you know, into our fold? And that really helps us with our competence as well because, you know, if we're missing that component... It really kind of gives us that leg up that maybe I don't know the the strength of ethical leadership, but I've got an expert here that's going to help me get there. And I got to think that that helps grows our, our competence as well.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I was working with a chief executive literally yesterday morning, and he said to me, look, I got vision to burn, he said, and I really, really care about people. I want to take this organization in a direction. I know where we're going. I know why it matters. And I really care about the people around me who I need to make it so, and they know I care about them. Those are my strengths. But I also know that um, I am not that good with the details, he said. And he said, I also know that when the chips are down, I can be a little too focused on my mission, maybe at the expense of being patient with others. So when he knows that about himself, he can look at that and say, boy, I better find people on my team who are more patient and who I trust to call me on that when they see that in me. Or in terms of competence, he went on to say that he had tremendous financial acumen but was not as sharp at some of the operational aspects of his business. So he had real knowledge in some areas and less in others. And so he knew he needed those people on the team. And as, you, as your question suggests, one of the challenges is, do you really want to take advice from someone who's different from you?
1: Yeah, and I think that that really shows strength when you're able to say that this is what my weakness is. But a lot of leaders don't really, you know, uh, admit those things, which I think puts them in into a pickle. But I, I want to go ahead and touch on this. You know, you talked about practical wisdom uh, just when you were kind of describing
0: competence. What do you mean by that? Well, it's a very ancient concept. It shows up all over the world that we recognize those people who don't just have knowledge. They have know-how, and they don't just have know-how, they seem to have a sixth sense about things. Practical wisdom is our ability to make sense of our experience and to learn from our experience and to apply what we're learning to the here and now. It's the difference between the 20-year veteran and the 20-year rookie.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, to become a 20-year veteran, you know, you've got to be able to to understand that know-how. You know, is, is another way to think about, you know, know-how may, maybe judgment as well? I mean, cause just because you know how to do something, does that mean you know when to, you know, when to instill that? So c- could
0: that kind of go hand-in-hand with judgment? I think it does. I think when you look at making good judgments, some of the lessons that you teach in your book— Can you keep your emotions in check? Can you stay focused in the here and now? So judgment dovetails very well with some of the things that you were, that you talk about and you teach as well.
1: So when you think about judgment, though, I mean, because a lot of times, you know, I try to put judgment in the sense of, of critical thinking. I mean, is judgment something you can teach or is judgment something that you have to experience, maybe that you have to, you know, have some errors with, maybe almost some failures with, and then you learn judgment? I mean, how do I as a leader teach
0: judgment? Well, you touch on a really key question. I've worked with people with lots of experience, lots of practical wisdom who believe you can't teach judgment. And I think they've got a point. They've seen people over and over again who get in their own way, who are their own worst enemies. And I think if you've got people who exhibit some of those shortcomings, you can't teach them out of that. You probably can help them see themselves and you probably can... Coach them. But one of the ways that you can teach judgment to most people is by helping to reflect on experiences. When something goes great, why did it go great? When we fail, why did we fail? What can we learn from it? And getting into the habit of, as you say, thinking critically when we're looking forward at things. I don't know that we can teach judgment per se, but we can sure teach the practices of judgment and most good, healthy people to varying degrees will get better and their judgment will improve with practice.
1: You know, I think that judgment really is a key factor that goes into mentorship as well. I mean, when we talk about, you know, you, you mentioned that when we talk about experiences, you know, you share your experiences with individuals and, and hopefully they don't make the same mistakes that you've made. Or, you know, you guide them down the path and say, go ahead and pick the very best that you can. You know, you're giving lessons in judgment as you talk about your me as the mentor's past experiences. But secondarily, I think if you give them a a, a multiple choice of where do you want to go from here, it allows them to develop that judgment as well that eventually helps them you know to guide them in the future one of the things i don't think we do well enough as 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 mentors is we don't teach the critical thinking skills that are necessary to have good judgment and make the decisions that need to be made now that that doesn't mean that you're not going to still make mistakes and, and that's what making those uh you know picking those uh from the multiple choice of what am i going to do now but you've got to be able to be uh um i guess um bound to your decisions, bound to those judgments that you're going to make and set off in a direction for either success or failure.
0: Yes. I mean, part of the way to build judgment is to be accountable for the decisions that you do make. And that means suffering through the hard consequences as much as celebrating the positive outcomes. And there is no substitute for that. If we shield people from experiencing those outcomes we make it much harder for them to develop judgment in the future
1: we're keeping that safety net up for them and sometimes we just got to let them fall and uh, you know a lot of times even when you're when you're giving them uh, what you think is uh, maybe the the right direction or you are kind of guiding them towards what could be the right direction they're going to go ahead and go down the wrong path but that's just part of their development and with that uh, my next question is really going to go towards a lot of times when i'm helping people grow and I'm I'm doing executive coaching, or I'm doing uh, you know leadership development. There, you know, the individual's ego is very, very front and center. And when we think about ego, and as I mentioned earlier, I think competence is something that really helps develop confidence and then when you start to develop confidence it really does great for your self-esteem. So my question to you is, you know, as you start to see, you know, whether it's ego or 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 anything else, what do you see as the barriers to developing comp- competence within yourself?
0: Well, one of the barriers you point out, if we are overly confident, we believe we know it all. It's very hard to learn. But a Bigger problem that's a little less obvious is the person who is afraid to be flawed or afraid to be vulnerable. Learning requires that we be a little bit vulnerable. And so it's hard for some leaders to say, I don't know this. Please teach me, particularly if we're learning things like, I don't know, technology skills from our younger employees. Of course, they're going to be up on that stuff more than we are. Let's be humble and learn from them. Not only do we grow ourselves, but we teach them a valuable lesson about remaining a learner. My aunt had a very long, successful career in information technology, and she worked as a government contractor in very secure network and IT environments. And one of the things that she struggled with throughout her career was staying creative as she got older. So she worked really hard in an environment where ego was significant, in an environment where being vulnerable was highly risky. She worked really hard to stay engaged with people and remain a learner, even as more and more she was seen as the teacher. And so when we do that, we not only keep learning ourselves, we model that behavior for others as well.
1: And I think that one of the things that we've got to think about is, you know, that John Maxwell talks about in his 21 irrefutable laws of leadership is the law of process and, you know, your leadership, uh, you know, your leadership. Uh, experience doesn't grow in a day, but it grows daily. And one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to continually, you know, you put our, instead of putting our leadership skills or our our development skills into a microwave where we think we should get them in three or four minutes, you know, we really got to put them into a crock pot and we really got to let all those, those juices simmer and we really got to take our time to, you know, to grow those, you know, to grow those skills. But one of the things that you say that I want to kind of touch on, Chad, is that you talk About being afraid uh, uh, to be flawed or to make mistakes. And isn't that really more of an experience thing than it is? I mean, because a lot of the leaders who are coming in today, you know, we've taught them from a very early age in their childhood that you made a mistake, and you know, this is something that you shouldn't be doing, and then is this who you want to become? And I think we're sending the wrong message that we can't make mistakes when we come into the business world of, of how we grow foundationally, but you know, when we think about, you know, making mistakes and learning from failures or being flawed, isn't that more of a something that we pick up with experience? And if the answer is yes, which I think it's going to be, how do we change that paradigm for people who, uh, you know, who are coming in to let them know that this is an okay process to make mistakes, fail, and then learn from those failures? I like to say, and I know I'm rambling at this point, but I like to say the first time you do something is a mistake, second time you do it is a choice.
0: I love that. That's absolutely right. And one of the ways to prevent making that choice unconsciously is to do what I like to call making mistakes with class. Instead of pretending that if we're supremely trained and we're careful, we won't make mistakes, let's acknowledge that no matter what, we're human. So if we're trying hard, we're going to make mistakes. And therefore, let's do it right. And making a mistake with class involves, just as you said, first, owning it. Owning my mistake is being accountable, and it's trying to mitigate the damage. Second, making mistakes with class involves learning from it. It involves reflection, hopefully with other people where necessary, and diagnosing. What went wrong? What could I have done differently? Was this about my character and ability? Was this about information that was or wasn't available? Was this just dumb luck? And if we're really doing that second part in learning, we're going to change. And if we've changed, we go to the third step. And that is forgiving ourselves and getting on with our lives. I work with leaders who define themselves by their past failures, and they are never better for it. They become paralyzed. They get defensive. They can be insecure. If instead, we create environments, we model, and we insist that when you make a mistake, We expect you to own it, learn from it and change, and then forgive yourself and get on with your life. We can accelerate that process so that younger people can start learning from their mistakes earlier and ultimately develop that practical wisdom more quickly, more effectively. And we create environments where people are more creative too because they're willing to give themselves permission to make mistakes on the basis that they know what they're going to do when it happens.
1: Man, there's a lot of great, a lot of great wisdom in that in that answer, and you know, I don't even know where to touch on it. I think even to play with that would really kind of ruin it. But I loved everything you said, especially the point about you know when we when we know that we're going to make mistakes, it makes us a little bit more bold, and it gets us to think outside the box, and you know, we just know that we're going to learn from those mistakes. But uh, I really love that answer, Chad. But let me ask you this then: so as a leader now. You know, sometimes we see the potential in people before they see the potential in themselves. So, if I'm going to help someone else become competent, you know, what's the most important things that I can do as a leader to help them grow that competence?
0: Boy, that's a great question. I go back to some of the experiences I have had being led by great leaders and some of the ways that they helped me particularly when I was in that position where I didn't think I could do it or I didn't think I was ready for that new task or that new team or that new promotion, first of all was taking the time up front to create clear expectations and a shared understanding of what the objectives that we're working on are. So set someone up for success and give them real clarity and give them the freedom and the autonomy to work on the process on their own even if they're going to fail. The first big company consulting project that I led about 25 years ago, my supervisor gave me the project. He had sold it. He set me up as the project team leader. I was terrified. And in fact, over a period of months, to some degree, I fell on my face. And he was there to help me. And he was there to pick me up, dust me off, and help me learn what I did wrong And even when I had a little bit of a tendency to blame others, he said, no, you know what? We warned you. You chose to go down that path. It could have paid off. It didn't. What are you going to learn from it? And so he kind of, on the one hand, made it okay that I failed, but he didn't make it okay for me to not own it and learn from it. He held my feet to the fire and he pushed me to do the uncomfortable work of really, Learning from what parts of that project went wrong because of mistakes that I made and I could own. And that really, really was formative for me. There are many other. I've, I'm fortunate enough to have made a lot of mistakes and to have learned from many of them. And But that one stands out because it was early, it was big, or it seemed big at the time. And it was someone else helping me to face something I didn't really want to face.
1: Yeah, and I think that those are very important. Again, having that safety net around is, is something that we really need to look at. And, you know, people hold on to those mistakes and those failures uh, like they're badges of honor. And, you know, you're not a historian. You, you need to forget what the history was. You need to learn from it, and you need to be able to move on. But I want to ask you this maybe in your expert opinion. Can you give us really maybe a strategy of how to allow mistakes to play into developing your competence?
0: Well, some of that, some of the ways that we can allow mistakes to go into our competence is to look forward and say, what are the likely failure points, and what are my plans if I do fail. I talked to a pilot who uh, he was a naval aviator who landed on carrier decks, and he said that landing on a carrier deck is trading options for progress. So every foot that I get that he got closer to that deck. Every foot of altitude that he lost, he lost options in favor of moving toward the deck. And so he knew the point at which he absolutely couldn't fail, and it was absolutely mission critical. But up to that point, he had options. And so one of the ways to build failure into your learning is to know when it's okay and when it's not, when it's mission critical and when it's not, and when you are off track and it's not mission critical, relax, learn from it, and keep making progress. Does that make sense?
1: No, I think that makes great sense. And I think that one of the things that that allows us to do as well, when we start to see that, is now as we take on something new, it helps us to predict what future mistakes we could make Based on those past mistakes as well, so I I really like how you put that. You know, it, it doesn't mean that we're going to predict every single mistake that's going to happen, but at least now it gives us that that critical thinking or that situational awareness to say, wait a minute, if I go down this path based on my past experience, this is something that could happen again, and I, I think that's very very relatable.
0: I'm 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 glad it relates. I wasn't sure it was my clearest example ever, but. It really is about looking at things going forward and making a plan, figuring out what the failure points are, and then continuing to trade options for progress and continuing to move in on where you believe you should be going.
1: Yeah, I mean, as long as I got an ejection seat, I still got an option. So <laughs> That's let true. Me, I know you're busy, guys. So let me get to my last question. And this is something that uh, really kind of sums up this discussion about competence. And I know that you've said that virtues exist between extremes can you be too competent? You
0: can be too focused on competence. Obviously, the extreme of incompetence is obvious, but I have worked with people and I am sometimes subject to being too focused on developing competence at the expense of actually doing work. So the extreme of a focus on the virtue of competence is not being too skilled. It's being too focused on developing skills or wisdom at the expense of taking action. It's that, I think you've called it, analysis paralysis. No, I mean, I got to tell you,
1: man, and I think that there is, you know, sometimes when we think about our, our weaknesses you know they can be overproduced strengths and sometimes when we think that we're too competent or we know our job uh... oh too well then i think that there's a failure to learn you know and one of the things that you and i spend some time in the public safety uh... career field and you know as as ems providers and as paramedics you know i i'll always ask people do you know everything there is to know about medicine you know everything there is to know about ems raise your hand and you know, there are people certainly out there who think they know everything there is to know, but I think that that hinders them for being better providers. So I think that you've got to be able to know that you're good in your job. I think that you've got to be able to know your strengths. You've got to be able to polish your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. But it, when you sit there and you say, I know everything there is to know, uh, I think that that's when your ego gets in the way. And I think you're not going to be able to produce at the highest level possible.
0: You know, Chris... I never looked at that feature of competence that way before. Another way that we can be extremely or excessively competent is to be so set in what we know that we are no longer open to learning. So apparently there are more than one way to be extreme in our focus on competence. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, this has been a great
1: show, Chad. And I got to tell you, every time you come here and we talk about ethical leadership, uh, I've got a a page of notes, and uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to pass those off to the people that I get to chat with. And I got to tell you, I mean, coming here on the holiday season, you know, I, I appreciate it. As our subject matter expert on ethical leadership, you never disappoint.
0: I can't thank you enough. I'm humbled by your praise. But I'm also really grateful for our friendship and for the opportunity to speak with your listeners. This is such a great podcast. I look forward to it whenever it shows up on my my podcast list even when i'm not the presenter That's but i especially love being your guest
1: thank you thank you very much and you and you said it just like i wrote it so i appreciate you following the script so <laughs> you know so uh, come back and let's get going in the uh, in 2017 so we can get to the rest of this virtue framework and i got to tell you dr charles weinstein it's always great to have you here chad as my friend i'm wishing you happy hanukkah and a safe holiday season And for everybody out there, I want to once again thank you for joining us on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Subalero, and we'll see you again in 2017.
0: Thank you for joining us. The Ultimate Leadership Podcast is a production of ChrisSubalero.com. You can interact with us by email at ultimateleadership16 at gmail.com. All rights reserved.